Let's pray. Almighty God, we do pray You would bless uh, the reading and the proclamation of Your Word. Uh, Help us to uh, see uh, You in all Your glory and Your grace uh, that You have poured out for us in Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. All right, uh, two little notes as I get started. One is I cut this sermon in half. I probably should have told Rose on Tuesday that I had too much information. And um, when I got to point eight, I should have known. But uh, So I cut it in half and um, I changed the title. Uh, instead of Christ in you, I changed the title to The Trip Toward Glorification. Um, by way of introduction, Romans chapter 8 is where, is where it is in the Bible in response to chapter 7. Chapter 7 wasn't, wasn't there. We wouldn't have chapter 8. And in chapter 8, where I was headed this week, and but I've, I've chopped it off and will be there next week, is uh, to conclude with verse 17 in Romans 8, which says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we also may be, uh, that we may also be glorified with Him. And so, here in verse 17, he is talking about our being heirs with God, provided that we suffer with Christ. And if we suffer with Him, we will also be glorified with Him. But boy, that is a long way from Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And then he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so, Paul here, in Romans chapter 7, he's wretched. The very thing he wants to do, he doesn't do. The very thing he hates, he ends up doing. And yet you get to verse 17, and he says, all true Christians suffer with Christ. Willingly suffer with Christ. So do you see how far a trip that is from Romans chapter 7 down to Romans chapter 8 verse 17? In those few short chapters, it's like taking a trip from New York City to Los Angeles. Or really, we could say from New York City to Hawaii by car. Which would be impossible, of course, without a miracle. But I use this analogy because it is impossible for a believer to grow as a Christian without a supernatural work of God in their soul. If you grow as a believer, it is because God is at work in you. It's impossible impossible for a believer to welcome suffering into their life without a supernatural work of God in their soul. 
so I ask again, how do we get from the wretchedness in Romans chapter 7 to the point where we welcome the reality of suffering with Jesus Christ? That's a question. Well, God has given us everything we need to grow and to progress in the Christian life. In fact, here is Romans chapter 8. We've been over verses 1 through 4, then we went over verses, um, then verses 5 through 8. Um, and uh, I want to go over those a little bit again because I want you to see the trip from New York City to Hawaii, from Romans chapter 7 to glorying in the fact that we get to suffer with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, So the first thing that God has given us to grow in our Christian life is He has given us complete forgiveness of sins and full acceptance into His presence. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, "...there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus." If you are in Jesus Christ, There is no sin that stands against you and speaks towards your condemnation. Because they were all placed on Jesus. He paid for every last one of them. There is therefore no condemnation because He suffered um, condemnation in your place. All your sins have been completely forgiven. All you will ever receive from God if you are in Jesus Christ. On the day of judgment, all you will receive is acceptance and welcome. You stand before God on the solid, unchanging foundation of justification by faith through Christ alone. That's the first thing God's done for us. He has forgiven us of our sins. He has given us full acceptance into His presence. The second thing God has done is He has set you free from the principle of sin and death. Not only the principle, but the power. Principle and power of sin and death. So Romans 8, verses 2-4, through For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For what God has done by the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law, remember this from a couple of weeks ago, might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, you're no longer a slave to sin. Sin pulled you around by the nose before you were a Christian. But God has set you free from the principle and power of sin in Christ Jesus. He condemned sin by His death and His glorious resurrection. You are now free to obey God. Sin is no longer your master. You have the ability to obey God, verse 4. We can fulfill the righteous requirements of the law by our obedience as we walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. In other words, our growth in Christ is always built on the foundation, on the solid, the unchanging foundation of God's Gospel. 
God does His 100%. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to get out of the starting block when it comes to our own obedience. Without God doing His work in us, we'd never be able to do what He requires. So your growth in Christ, your sanctification, is by God's grace alone. He initiates. And this is essential because if you do not firm, if you've not firmly grasped the importance of God's grace in our sanctification as well as in our justification, then you won't be able to understand anything that Paul is saying here in Romans chapter eight. God's work in us is the foundation. The foundation then establishes our responsibility. It doesn't relax our responsibility. Oh, well, God's doing His 100%. Let go and let God. No. Because God is at work in you, because God has done everything you need for life and for godliness through Christ Jesus, therefore, you can be obedient. Therefore, you don't. you no longer need to act as if you're a slave to sin. He has set you free in Christ Jesus. So when it comes to loving and serving God obediently, we can expect to shine because God is at work in us. Even though we, from Romans chapter 7, we remain wretches that don't do the very thing we want to do, and instead do the very thing we we hate, we will also, at the very same time, be more than conquerors through Him who loved us because God is working in us. So, what does this mean? It means you must exercise your responsibility by God's grace and exercise that responsibility with all diligence. So Paul says the first thing that you need to do as you exercise your responsibility is set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Verse 5. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The reason he says this is because there is a very close connection between our thinking and our living. Whatever you set your mind upon shapes your lifestyle, shapes your character, shapes the whole direction of your life. So Paul says we are to set our minds on things that please God. Before Paul gives us um, the second thing that he says that we are to do, as we exercise our responsibility, He tells us more about what God has done for us. So the first thing, set your mind on the things of God. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Nurture your thought life. Whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is wonderful, whatever is praiseworthy, Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, set your mind on these things. And then he goes and tells us Two more realities. First reality, you are forgiven of your sin, you of all your sins, you have full acceptance and welcome, you've been set free. And then he tells us um, 
in uh, verses 9 and 10 of two more realities of what God has done for us. You have been given an intimate relationship with the triune God. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And so he is saying, believer, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God Himself dwells in you. And then he goes on. He doesn't stop there. He says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, um, uh, I'm sorry, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And so he says uh, in verse um, in verse 10 that Christ is in you. So the Spirit is in you, Christ is in you as well. Well, what does that mean theologically? Jesus Christ is in heaven. Jesus Christ has a glorified yet localized body. When we get to heaven, we'll be able to see the nail prints in His hands, even though it is a glorified body. He is in heaven, but He sent His Spirit, and His Spirit lives in our lives. And and there's such a close connection between Jesus and His Spirit that if the Spirit is living in you, Christ is also living in you. In fact, He is called earlier in verse 9 the Spirit of Christ. Did you see that? Verse 9, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So, the Spirit lives in you. Christ, by the Spirit, lives in you. And the Father also dwells in you. Look at verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Who's He talking about? If the Spirit of Him who dwells I'm sorry, it's the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you? Well, is it the Spirit of the Spirit? No, of course not. Is it the Spirit of Jesus? No, because it, the, the, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead. He's talking about the Father. And so what's happening here is the triune God has taken up residence in your soul. He dwells in your heart. He has made your heart His home. Listen to John 14. Jesus said, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. And so Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans because He sent the Holy Spirit to live in our hearts. He says, I will come to you. And then Jesus goes on uh, in verse 24, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My word and My Father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home with him. Jesus and the Father come and make a home, his, their, his home in our hearts by the Holy Spirit.
Now, there's an implication here that Paul draws out in verse 9. He says, if you do not have the Spirit, then you do not have a relationship with God. So look again at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. This is a call for self-examination. Paul never assumed that everyone in his congregations um, was a true Christian. In fact, Paul had never visited the church at Rome. He didn't know these people. He had heard reports about them. And he's sending them this letter. And so he doesn't know if they're in Christ or out of Christ. And so he calls them to to examination. And I can tell you, it is the common experience that uh, in every congregation there are people who do not know Jesus Christ. And so I call you, examine yourself. See if you be in the faith. See if you have a relationship with God. See if you have the Spirit of God dwelling in your soul. You know, I can tell you, even if I got together a congregation of ministers, not every one of them would be a Christian. So Paul says, 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves. Prove yourselves. Test yourselves. Does the Spirit of God dwell in you? He says uh, here in verse 9, if in fact, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, does He in fact dwell in you? Examine yourself. Paul says, you've been given not only complete forgiveness of sins, not only full acceptance with God, not only freedom from the principle and power of sin and death, and you've also been given this intimate relationship with with God, but he doesn't stop there. There's even more here. You've also been given resurrection life. Look again at the Scripture, verses 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. It's an awesome thought. So He's saying, I not only have a relationship with you as a triune God, I dwell with you, I love you, but He's also saying, I am powerfully at work in you. I think that almost for us sometimes takes more faith to believe that He is at work in us than to believe that He rose from the dead Himself. You know, we have confessed from, from childhood, many of us, that Christ rose from the dead. But then we struggle with sin so much, Romans chapter 7, that it's hard for us to believe that He's really powerfully at work in us. But this is a fact. This 
Scripture. He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, His Spirit is at work in you, giving life to your mortal bodies. What does this mean? That He's giving life to your mortal bodies. Well, what does he mean in verse 10 when he said that um, although the body is dead because of sin? What he means here is that your body is wasting away. Even though some of you who are in the strength of your youth, your body is still wasting away. Even as it is growing stronger as you are growing up, it is still wasting away. Now, there are many of us of my age who can feel the wasting away. You feel that your body is breaking down. It's not able to do um, what it used to do. Just even a few years ago, playing basketball, you know, I could move my feet and stay in front of some of these younger guys. Now, I look and see which hand they're dribbling in, so I overplay the hand, like to the right hand. And now... I can't even stay inside or stay in front of them. So when they try and go by me, I push them. <laughs> what are you doing, Pastor? You're cheating. <laughs> hey, I'm an old man. So uh, my body, you know, is breaking down a little bit. Somebody said that all the world is a hospital and every patient in it is terminal. Thomas Brooks, the, the Puritan, said, Death oft times is as near to the young man's back as it is to the old man's face. And we struggle with sin. It never gets any easier, it seems like. Romans 7. Oh, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. The very thing I hate, I end up doing. And we're tempted to say, What's the use? Well, the use is that God is at work in you. He is powerfully at work in you. Your your body, though it is wasting away, will be resurrected in glory. You will receive a glorified body. And what Paul says, his argument in verses 10 and 11, is that because the Spirit of Christ is at work in you, life is at work in you. So be who you are. You're going to live for all eternity in your glorified body in holiness, in righteousness. And so God, because He's preparing you for this, He's helping you to to be holy even now. The Spirit is dwelling in you. Life is in your body. So be who you will be. And then verse 12, he says, and this will be the last uh, verse that we look at. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Sorry, verse 13 as well, we're going to consider. When he says we have an obligation or we are debtors, uh, to uh, the Spirit, not to live according to the flesh. Paul knows that sometimes it's going to feel like we're a debtor to the flesh because sometimes temptations can come into our life that are so strong that, you're temp- that you say, I must do this. 
And it feels like I must do this. But even no matter how strongly that temptation feels, no, how, how strong that tug is, Paul says, you are freed from the principle and power of sin. You can be obedient. And so your obligation or your, your debtor to the Spirit to walk according to the Spirit He's forgiven you of so much. He has freed you from the power of sin and death. He lives inside you because He loves you so much. He is powerfully at work in you. So then, verse 12, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. And if you do live according to the flesh, verse 13 says, you will die. Take the Scripture seriously as you examine yourself. But, halfway through verse 13, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What does it mean to put to death the deeds of the body? That's the question. Because he says if you do this, you will live. You can only put to death the deeds of the body if you are grounded on that foundation that we've already talked about, that gospel sanctification with God at work in you, therefore, you can put to death the deeds of the body. What he means here, the theologians call this mortification. Putting sin to death. This is a, a, a very intentional term that Paul's using. He's not uh, throwing a word out carelessly. He says that we can put sin to death. That means there's a ruthlessness. There is a full-hearted resistance to sinful practices in our life. There's a violence that we commit against sin. We put it to death. We totally reject everything that we know to be sinful. We declare war on the attitudes and also on the behaviors that displease God. We give them no quarter. We take no prisoners. We put sin to death. Is this part of your experience? It doesn't mean that we play games with sin. We don't try to wean ourselves off of sin little by little. No, we put it to death. Nor do we try and manage our sin. Oh, I can keep it under control. No, we put it to death. You get far away from the sin as possible. You don't just avoid sinful things. You avoid the things that might lead to sin. Listen to Paul in Colossians chapter 3. Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you, once, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. 
anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. You see that? Put to death. Or, uh, when I was a very young Christian, Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Timothy, chapter two, verse twenty-two. Oh, I'll start with verse twenty. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And I remember praying. I used to pray this all the time. Lord, I want to be useful to You. Lord, I don't want there to be this, this stuff in me, this clay and this wood that, that makes me dishonorable. I want to be useful for You. And so I would intentionally flee the temptations and flee the desires and try to change the the thought patterns of my mind as a new Christian because I wanted to be useful to the master of the house. Is this your practice? This is what we mean when we say uh, mortification of sin. This is what Paul means when he says put to death the... um, the deeds of the flesh. He says uh, in verse 12, So then, or therefore, and we ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, what he's doing is he's drawing from what he said ahead, uh, what he has already said. He said, you're free in Christ. You're forgiven in Christ. You're accepted in Christ. You are um, Christ dwells in you. The Spirit dwells in you. The Father dwells in you. He's made uh, your heart His home. Therefore, you put to death your, uh, the, the deeds of the flesh and you will live. Sin can only be cut off at the root. A lot of us make the mistake of trying to to change one sinful fruit for something else. It's got to start at the root. Don't don't cut off the branches and be satisfied. Don't try to simply change your behavior, but go to God. Relish, nurture His love for you, His grace in your life. His power at work in you. The fact that He is dwelling in you. And as you do that, you'll have that power to then put sin to death and then walk in the power of the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that You would help us to put to death the deeds of the flesh in order that Christ might be all in all, in order that we might be useful in the Master's house to serve Him faithfully and wholeheartedly. We ask in His name. Amen.